0: Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Great to be with you. And today uh, is Redefining Success, God's Way, Part 2. Redefining Success, God's Way, Part 2. It's such an important theme, success. And I mean, so many leaders, pastors that I know, and I include myself in this, feel like losers. Uh, What is wrong with me? What happened? Why, Why don't I feel like I'm going anywhere? And so... It's a topic I've thought long and hard about uh, over the years, and so important, there will be a part three uh, next week as well. But let me begin with a story, the story of Moses in uh, Numbers chapter 20, when he, along with his brother Aaron, who's functioning kind of as a COO, uh, they had been waiting and working for 40 years to enter the promised land, and they've got almost 3 million people with them. Uh, 603,000 men that they're managing, besides women and children. And they're just so, uh, they're ready to go, and, but their patience has been tested over and over again by people complaining, criticizing them for lack of food and water and leaving them in a desert to die. And Moses at this point is just exhausted and uh, he's angry and he's resentful. And And so the Lord speaks to Moses people are complaining and tells the, Moses to, to speak to the rock. Uh, before their eyes, and the Lord will provide water. But Moses is so angry; uh, he takes the staff, his staff of, of authority, and he and he hits the rock twice. And he says, "Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water out of this rock?" And he just loses it. And but yet, what happens is, you know, water does come out. He he doesn't do God's will, God's way, and he strikes that rock, but water comes out, and uh, the people are are fed, and, and thirst is quenched. But he loses it. He he doesn't succeed here. Uh, he strays from his loving union with God. He takes matters into his own hands, and he doesn't he doesn't honor or obey God. And uh, so the people's needs are met, but he pays a stiff price, uh, as does his brother Aaron. And God labels their actions rebellion and unbelief. And as a result, if you know the story, they don't enter the promised land. And that's why it's so important we get this right. What is success? God's way, not the world's way. And I've struck the rock uh, numerous times in my life out of frustration and anger, uh, but and, and I've missed out on the joy, and, in a sense, the promised land of contentment and joy and, and loving and serving Jesus, uh, because success that we talked about last week is, is doing God's will, God's way, and God's timing. So last week at the podcast, we talked about the two major idols that are in our culture and in the Christian culture. And that is that success is numbers. Now, again, uh, numerical growth in the world equates numbers with power and significance. It's an absolute value. Bigger is always better. And when it comes to the church, however, and numbers, the problem isn't that we count them because we have a whole book called Numbers. It's just that we've we've taken into our system that numbers is the only way we count. And it's not bigger or better. Something's wrong. And uh, so we end up measuring ourselves by the world standard of numbers. That's a big problem. And we talked about David last week, numbering the fighting men, and how this thing is is, a, is really a dangerous line to walk at. But then the second major idol that we have to deal with on a consistent basis as leaders is, you know, what people think, uh, popularity, people's esteem. And that was the great challenge of the Pharisees. And Jesus would say to them repeatedly, you know, how can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone yeah. is God? And again, that challenge to be famous to impress people uh, is a God that that calls our allegiance and calls us and, and we end up making decisions that are not God. So again, our model is Jesus, you know as the way he he died with eleven disciples uh, mm-hmm. at his crucifixion and let I mean, we talk about if you're going to measure by numbers, we're in big trouble but Obviously he he does the will of God. He is he is a success and he's a model for us. And so again, success is doing what God has asked us to do, doing it his way and in his timing. But I want to talk to you today about getting beyond numbers, beyond quantity to quality. So for me, in just a, a, in an overall sense, it looks like, you know, am I growing as a disciple of Jesus? Uh, that that's number one for me of success. In other words, I'm in scripture, I'm spending time with him in prayer and solitude. I I've got rhythms. Uh, that keep me anchored in Jesus, like Sabbath and uh, uh, silence and a rule of life and daily offices. But but I'm just, I'm growing, I'm learning, uh, I'm maturing in Jesus. I'm, I'm growing into more of an adult on a daily basis. That's number one success for me. And second, that I'm a loving person, that am I present with the people in front of me, uh and loving you know like Christ and thirdly is that I have integrity in what I'm doing that I'm living what I preach and not just talking about it I'm in reality I've got some people around me that can speak to me when I'm out of it uh and I invite that kind of critique you know fourthly is my marriage I I that I live out of my vow to Jerry and uh that I've got integrity in my oneness with Jerry out of which I lead that my spirituality is integrated in that and and I've got we got four daughters and a son-in-law and another son-in-law to coming and a granddaughter that I'm that I'm present with my family and as my outworking of my following of Jesus and then finally that I'm stewarding my gifts for Jesus in my very short earthly life. You know, just yesterday, in my time alone with God, I was studying Matthew 24, uh, 45 to 51, and it's really especially applies to Christian leaders. And I, I wrote a great passage on, on stewardship, and where Jesus says, you know, who is a faithful and wise servant? It's the one whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at their proper time. And I realized for myself as a Christian leader, my primary role in life is to feed those whom God has given me. And you know who is that? The part of that I realize now for me is this podcast, uh, among other things, and in, in writing, and again, I'm I'm on teaching pastor at New Life Fellowship. That's part of my role as well. But you know who? What's the limits of the people at the table that God's given me to serve? And who is that table at this season of my life? And am I serving them with uh, well with my gifts? Uh, you know, before Him, I just love that. It's a great parable, and uh, I want to serve those people at my table. My circle of influence, but I don't want to go beyond that either and try to be somebody I'm not. And uh, it's a fantastic parable. So, but let me let me broaden this now to leadership. How do I get beyond just simple numbers to, to quality? And I'll, I'll start with an example of new life uh, when I was lead pastor there, as we really wrestled with that for quite a long period of time and said, "What what what is success for us?" And and uh, we ended up with three markers of success that we felt God had given us. And this went through a process of our staff and our elders. Um, and it was three things. One is success was is when people are transformed deep beneath the surface of their lives. Secondly, the success is bridging racial, cultural, economic and gender barriers. And thirdly, the success is serving our community uh, and our world. And uh, so what that looked like practically is just take the one of tra- the success is people being transformed uh, deep beneath the surface of their lives. So it began by, you know, for example, we we, measure, we we wrestled how do you measure this, and it was things like each leader at New Life. Now we said leader will develop his or her relationship with God by spending you know ten to thirty minutes with God each day in Scripture and prayer in the morning, and a few additional minutes uh, you know, at night or in the afternoon, a second time during the day. We said our staff and our board and our key leaders would slow down their lives by practicing Sabbath, you know, for a twenty-four hour period. That our staff and board would be listening for God's voice uh, using the examine uh, uh, that each member of our administrative team and pastoral team would consistently integrate emotionally healthy relationship skills into their relationships at home, at work, uh, in their neighborhood. And we had a we had a goal of 85% of our people being connected in a small group or ministry as part of their formation. Uh, That was way too high, Uh, but uh, it probably should have been more like, you know, 50 to 60. Uh, And then every child and teenager would participate in a a small group with an appointed leader. And again, every marriage, every 50% of our married couples would go through a training to view their marriage as a living sign of God's passionate love for the world. That was something public was meant to be evangelistic. So again, these are difficult, challenging markers and uh, much more difficult than just measuring numbers. Uh, but we have to acknowledge our limits in measuring transformation, but it was really important that we wrestled with that. And I think that we wrestle with it in each of our respective ministries. Um, another one was success is bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. Now that we felt very much, that was part of God's call, central to God's call for our life as a community. And so that affected our hiring, our programming, our worship, our groups, our outreach, our finances, preaching everything. Uh, that was that much of a value and and surely had implications for numbers. And then thirdly was that we would be uh, a church that's not just serve the poor, that we would be a church of the poor uh, and marginalized. Uh, that was success for us. Well, we were a church for the poor and marginalized. I just think of like on Tuesdays and Saturdays, uh, we give showers to large community of homeless. Uh, at least 50 to a hundred homeless people every, every week. And they're taking showers or using our bathrooms. The whole, the building takes a beating. Uh, but again, what's success and it it all depends on what what you're measuring. So, uh, on, on a more simple recent basis, let me just take my daughter is getting married, um, next year. And so I sat down and said, what is success for this wedding? And uh, for me, I wrote down, you know, as I prayed and offered this to God, success was the process, that the process of planning for this wedding would be a joy and not stressful. Uh, that f- Faith, my daughter, uh, would really have great joy uh, preparing and on that day. And Jerry, my wife, as well. And their happiness was very important to me. Uh, and so I, out of that, and this would be a celebration, this would be a true celebration that reflected a taste of the kingdom of heaven, uh, of their marriage. It's such a wholly magnificent thing. And so out of that, and also on a side note, we also, a success for me was not spending that much money. You know, I had a budget and we're going to stay in that budget Uh, because as you probably know, if you've done a wedding for one of your children, it's endless. So I said, okay, Jerry, uh, because Jerry's got you know, definitely things that she would like. I said, Jerry, you can be the president, which means you just cast a vision of what you want. I will be the executive director. I will implement. I will ma- I will take responsibility for everything that needs to happen for this wedding. So, but I had to think about what is success. Uh, and it really did help me kind of anchor. Emotionally healthy spirituality, which is what I lead today, um, you know, we set priorities every year. And I, we don't even call them goals anymore. We call them priorities. And Took a, a multiple. It took eleven drafts each. You know, this most this past year, uh, to really say what is again success for us. How are we going to measure it? Uh, and I, it took really a couple of months, and it went through everything from our little staff to board. Lots of time alone with me, with God for me. But uh, you know, success for us is 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 very simple now. It's helping churches implement a discipleship that deeply changes lives. Which is the emotionally healthy discipleship courses? That is our. So we have to have a. You know, we just started doing this a year ago in terms of measuring it, and and so you know, I forget we had like fifty. We had we we, we said we want to grow that number. We put a we put a number that we'd love to see. Wait, what we what we see happening naturally? We said you know, within a year we'll probably have five hundred churches in the, in just North America doing the courses, um, doing the emotionally discipleship courses, and so we said. That's going to probably happen. And so within that, we had some priorities, which is develop some hub churches that would function as training centers that we would go there and serve them. So they become, in a sense, little mini new new life fellowships. Um, and we had a, a goal of, of investing in point leaders and churches uh, you know doing some round tables etc but it was interesting because it was a, for us it was a direction we were moving in and we we, we spoke very clear that we'd really enjoy as a team we I mean, have a very small team uh but it'd be an easy light yoke of Jesus and uh you know we have, a, we have a yearly we have a summit you know a, a, an annual summit. We gather churches from around the world and invest in them for two days. We said that's a priority for us, gathering in a sense that the core of people doing the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses around the world and gather them and and invest in them for a couple of days. So, but we want to do it in a relaxed, joyful, easy yoke fashion uh, and out of our marriages uh, for those of us on staff. So i gave give you a couple of examples there, but I want to talk to you really uh, in, in the second part here today of what are the three key factors that made it possible to do this kind of switch because success, redefining success Jesus way is a a massive countercultural shift. And as I thought about it and I was reflecting, how have I made the switch over the years? It wasn't instant by any means, uh, but there were three key factors that I think got me over and I would say delivered from the culture, even the church leadership culture that I was shaped in, to a place of real freedom and, and joy, and uh, in even defining success for me along the way. So here's my three things. The first is is silence and solitude. I think the big turning point for me happened, and you know, I've been thinking about success for you know my whole Christian life, but really it was in 2003 when I took a four-month sabbatical and immersed myself in monasticism and, and learning from monastic orders, and I went to Orthodox Catholic uh, evangelical monasteries for a four-month period, Jerry and I, and we and we dove into this life of silence, solitude, rhythm, daily offices. And that's when something broke in me in terms of the will of God and Psalm 27 4 became my life verse when here's King David he's running the country uh, he's got massive responsibility and he says you know though an, um, though an army besiege me I will not fear and this guy's got more problems than anybody I'm thinking as king of the country but he says one thing I ask of the Lord this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple and I'm saying that that's it. And I, I, I that that became my I think bec- being a contemplative before God, seeking the face of Jesus, is my number one goal in life. But it was silence and solitude that kind of it broke some idols in me. It, it, it did something, and, and silence and solitude has been a part of my rhythms since then. I mean, I spend twenty minutes every morning in silence at some point around my scripture, but I'm I'm spending chunks of time in silence before the Lord. Um, you know, I'm doing days alone with God and I'm looking for purity just to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I don't wait for God to do something. I'm waiting for him. I'm waiting on him. I'll wait on him for all eternity because he's, you know, he's the Lord. But without silence and solitude, I don't know if it's possible to redefine success Jesus's way because it's so, it will lead you down roads that will, may appear very unsuccessful. The second is learning indifference. Uh, and it's a, it's a key word that comes out of Ignatian uh, theology. It comes out of the 1500s. And Saint Ignatius of Loyola wrote some of the best work on discerning the will of God. And he begins by saying, you, if you're not indifferent, and, and what he, he defines it, you, you clearly can't seek God's will. Because you've already made a decision. By him, indifference means I'm open to whatever God has. And, he, you know, if you think of a scale of zero to ten, how open to you are you to God directing you in a particular decision? And he goes, unless you've really done the inner work to let go and say, God, whatever it is, I'll do it, you really can't do discernment of the will of God because you've already got your mind made up. And so we've even had times as a, as a staff team and leadership team we've said on a scale of one to 10, as we're talking about a decision we've got to make, how open to, are you? If zero is uh, not open and 10 is I'm totally open, where are you? And it's amazing as people go around the room, you find that I'm ai am a three or I'm a five or I'm a seven. And you realize there's so much agenda already in the discussion. It's really, it, and, and prayer time we're about to go into that. It's a very distorted prayer time. So that is a, that, that issue of, indifference is key. is But this is hard work. And if you don't think it's hard work, just look at Jesus. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is struggling to surrender his will to the Father. And this is, to me, one of the most significant planning and decision-making texts in all of Scripture is the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says, my Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And here is Jesus, our leader, our, our Lord, uh, he didn't. He had to learn obedience from what he suffered. I mean, you know, it says in Hebrews five, Jesus offered a prayer and petitions with fervent cries. Uh, he he learned obedience from what he suffered. It's Hebrews five seven and eight. In other words, his his obedience to the, to the will of God to to in a sense letting the Father define success for him came out of struggle. He he learned it over time. He he prayed through it. Uh, it, talk, it took falling to, to his, with his face to the ground and, and struggle to submit himself to the Father's definition of success. How can we expect it would be any different for, than for us? Uh, it is a challenge, and I love that it says, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and uh, and he was heard. So, again, this is hard. So, again, uh, silence and stillness, which is uh, its own challenging uh, practice. Secondly, is, is it getting to a place of indifference. God, not my will, but Your be yours should be done. That's why if you don't pray the Lord's Prayer uh, on a daily basis, I, I want to encourage you to do so. It's a great prayer, and I usually stop at, you know— our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I stop for uh, you know, morning, midday, evening prayer, uh, I'm always surrendering my. I'm surrendering my will. Okay, Lord, not my will or my kingdom, but yours. Because I get out of doing God's will or His definition of success for me in a nanosecond, uh, and I just have to stay anchored. But this is again hard work. And then finally, so it's not just. Silence and solitude, and I love again. We just mentioned this. It was Henry Nowen who said, "Without silence and solitude, it's virtually impossible to grow in the spiritual life." So I need silence and solitude. Secondly, I, I gotta, I gotta do the work in prayer of getting to a place of indifference, and then thirdly, I've gotta deepen my theology of limits. Now, I, I first, you know, God brought me into a theology of limits in 1996. It has been the number one challenge for me around surrendering my life to Jesus versus rebellion has been embracing God's gifts and receiving God's gifts and limits. Now, as as leaders, as Christian leaders, we have a whole set of limits, human limits, personal limits, team limits, ministry or organizational limits. We've got limited time, energy, money, gifts. Um, and, And so we don't. We said we always see as frustration versus looking for God in our limits. And I, I would say it this way: our limits are the last place we actually look for God. I mean, just think with me for a minute, biblically. Think of Moses. He was so limited by his age and his slowness of speech. I mean, he had some kind of a speech impediment. We don't know exactly what it was. Uh, and then you know the Lord God makes it clear that He's going to be present in and through Moses' limitation, and Moses leads you know three million people to the promised land. Jeremiah had limits. He he was melancholy. He struggled with suicide. He cursed the day he was born. Uh, God used his temperament to touch millions. We, we we read his books today. John the Baptist was so limited. The guy did not have a network. I mean, he was a a, a semi. He lived a semi-monastic life in the desert. What a limitation. Uh, but God gave him an extraordinary revelation of Jesus as, as the Lamb of God. I mean, Gideon had limits, 300 people. Twelve disciples had such limits uh, in their learning. And But, I mean, these, God broke through those. They, they, God was not constrained by it. I, I think of my own time limits. I mean, I just, time is such a gift. And so, it, it's looking, your, your ministry and what God has for you is not constrained by limits. In fact, it may be the way God is coming to you. I just think we had a follow up coming on our staff uh, a couple of years ago and he was invited on halftime staff to kind of, you know, layer into it. And he wa- he wanted to do it. And so but when he talked to his wife, she said, no, I don't think it's a good idea. Now, she was coming out of a scarred history when he had been on staff at another church many years earlier, and she saw his life out of control of what it did to her marriage. So she was still carrying that those scars regardless at this point her response to him was no i i really don't want you to do this and so but that talk about a limit he could say well his wife has scars that's her problem she needs to get some therapy but he and the leadership was able to say no this god's in this god's in her at this point and so he didn't come on staff at, at that point it, i think it took another year for that to happen but it was part of the discernment was the limits uh, of that and i know for myself I mean, Jerry is a very different person than I, and uh, much healthier in many ways. But but, her we're one flesh, and so her discernment. I listen. I actually listen to the limits coming to me through her as part of the way God's coming to me, and that's everything to the size of what we're doing, or when I write a book, or if I write a book. I mean, I'm a visionary. I've got three visions by by breakfast. You know, I'm type A. Uh, but I recognize how God comes to me, you know, through that. I mean, for years, when I, for 26 years when I was lead pastor at New Life, uh, every year or every other year, Jerry led a group in our basement of 15 people. It was an intensive discipling group. And I used to say to myself, how many – I was their assistant in these groups, you know, and so we'd have 15 people in our basement. And not everyone was even that open. Uh, and that responsive, but I said to myself, how many senior pastors who are building a church are spending, you know, we, it was like 100 in, in a hundred hours in a year in our basement, three hours every evening, every two weeks, and then one weekend every quarter. Uh, but it was a way to deeply get in people's lives for transformation. And I was like, I kicked and screamed against it initially, but I, I knew God was in it, you know, because she was, was passionate and obviously making disciples is God's heart. So he did it. I mean, who I would have never dreamed that all the materials that had been published Uh, through emotionally healthy discipleship, have come through that basement. Uh, You know, God used it to change us. And so, again, this issue of limits touches the core of our relationship with God. You know, God sets limits to Adam and Eve, and they crossed it. And we got in all kinds of trouble. Because limits and rebellion are tightly related. And it's always been my greatest leadership temptation and struggle, and I know I'm not alone in that. So as you're redefining success, you want to look for God in your limits and not simply bypass them. But we're back to silence and solitude. We're we're back to indifference as we're discerning God's will and uh, looking for God in our limits. Let me close with one little story here of Thomas Aquinas uh, in in the 1200s, wrote about the the three types of life that there are to live. And I think this is so related to as our discernment of God's will. He calls it the contemplative life. There's the active life, and then there's the mixed life. And he says, the highest the most challenging life is the mixed life. And that's what all all of you listening to my voice, you're living a mixed life. A contemplative would be like an angel in heaven. These are people who your your whole life is contemplation, is prayer, being with God, uh, like the angels of heaven. And he goes, that's, you know, that's easy in a sense, because you're not active. You're just, you're, you're behind monastic walls and you're praying. Secondly, is there's active life. There's people just doing, doing, doing for God. And whether it's nonprofits, whether it's mission work around the world, whether it's um, you know, pastoring or leading, but just busy, um, you know, but, but doing active work for God and, uh, you know, receiving guests and sense, but they, but they don't do really contemplation, but they're active. He goes, that's easy. He goes, the most difficult and the highest is to do You're uh, you're an active for God, but you're also a contemplative. You're also grounded in prayer and stillness and solitude in scripture. Uh, you're active, but you're contemplative, the mixed life. That is, I believe, God's invitation to us, that, that high calling of being leaders who are uh, contemplative activists for Christ. So listen, next week, I'm going to do uh, frequently asked questions because I, I have a whole list here already. You know, what You know what do I do with my envy? What do I do if if I do success, but I lose my job, you know, God's ways, et cetera. So I'm going to put it on social media. What are questions you're carrying around success, uh, and I'm going to invite you on, on my Facebook or Twitter page, you know, at Pete Scazzaro. Uh, send me questions. I'll, I'll post that up later today and uh, let me know. But I'm going to put that together. I've already got a few that I think is going to be just a very important podcast because there's so much we haven't talked about. So, listen, leadership flows out of a deep discipleship, and that's why we've given our lives at Emotionally Healthy Spirituality to making Disciples who are deeply changed for the sake of the glory of Christ around the world. So let me close you those. I'm going to close every, every you know, hopefully every time. It's order your Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Kit, Leaders Kit, which has it in it our courses that we're bringing to churches to implement uh, a discipleship that really changes people. Secondly, get trained. Uh, come to one of our live streams, go to our website, and then do the course. Begin doing the course. It's a course with a part A and a part B. But if we're going to be leaders that redefine success, Jesus' way, we've got to be living a discipleship that is deep in our own lives out of which all this flows. So God bless you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Look forward to seeing you next week on part three of Redefining Success, Jesus' Way. And again, go to our website, EmotionallyHealthy.org, and look forward to talking to you again. God bless you. Bye-bye.